now I'm back, like I never left. Another sprint, another step, another day, another breath. Been chasing dreams, but I never slept. I got a new attitude and a lease on life is a peace of mind. Seeking to find, I can sleep when I die. Want a piece of the pie, got the keys to the ride and shit. I'm straight, I'm on my way. You died twice. Once when they bury you in the grave. And the second time is the last time that somebody mentions your name. So when I leave here on this earth, did I take more than I gave? Did I look out for the people or did I do it all for fame? Legend is Exodus, searching for euphoria. Judging through the mud to find the present, no ignoring. I got 20,000 deep off in the street like we some warriors. My mama told me never bow your head. Whoa. I feel Welcome back to the pod, people. I'm Anna, your host. So happy to have you here. I have a really powerful episode today. It's a different direction than we've gone before on this podcast, and I'm really excited about it. You know, when I thought about doing a collection of episodes about relationships, I really wanted to get every aspect and every angle, at least try to. Today, I have Becky Holt on the podcast, and she's going to share with us how she transformed through her divorce, and you can really tell that she is just thriving. She has the best energy, and in this episode, she gets so vulnerable about her whole story, um, how she fell in love, and why it didn't work out, and how she got the courage to change and what that meant for her and how to actually be able to end a relationship that's so huge um, and how to feel like yourself again. Um, I feel like I can't even really summarize because... It's just silly compared to what she says firsthand. Um, I feel like we laugh, we cry. This is an amazing episode. You really don't want to miss it. I hope you guys like it. She is offering coaching and yoga classes, which if you've never taken a yoga class from her, they are amazing. Um, She offers a variety, I think, online, and she does them locally in Rockville and Bethesda. Um, Definitely follow her on Instagram, believeyoga.love. So again, this is my friend Becky. She is an amazing goddess, glowing warrior. And thank you guys for listening. Um, I can't wait to see what you think. I know you're going to love it. And I'll see you on the other side. Bye. One more thing. We chatted so much that we just had to do a round two. You can tell at the end, she was like, I have to go. And I was like, no. So we did another round and that'll get released on the next episode. So you guys are going to love this. Enjoy.
Okay, so just go ahead and introduce yourself, who you are, what you do. Um, right now, let's go. Yeah. Oh, that's a hard one. Okay. Hi, I am Becky Holt Porter. I am a yoga teacher, always and forever. And I am also a life coach, transformational coach, embodiment coach. I am still narrowing down what to call myself because what I do is pretty um, diverse and it, it's a holistic approach um, and, and working with people to get them to their next level, to living into their higher potential. And my passion is really around deprogramming, deprogramming um, beliefs, our emotional responses, and really stepping in and taking full radical responsibility for how we want to live our lives and how my clients want to live their lives. Because so often, more times than not, I mean, I think people are really waking up more to this now than ever before. But, I mean, you know, we have all these life experiences that wake us up and make us realize that we are living a life that was, like, programmed into us from an early age and not really aligned to our own innate true desires in our own selves. So I coach people through doing all of that work to, to get themselves to that point so that they can really love. We're here to love our life. And if we're not loving our life, then let's do something. So that's the kind of work that I'm doing now. What do you think, like, the biggest program that you've gotten rid of and replaced has been? Um, that... I mean, I'm not even going to say that I was, like, really super consciously aware of it, but it's that being saved. Somebody else is going to come rescue me. And um, that's the biggest thing, really. And um, the biggest program that I've broken through, I mean, is that. not I'm, Nobody's going to be, like, I feel like I was, I, I know that I felt that way on a subconscious level for um, so many of my relationships, seeking outside of myself for what is inside of myself, the validation, the self-worth, the value, the love. Yeah, that's a huge pattern of mine too. Yeah, that's a big one for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about relationships. Okay. Well, that came from, I mean, that, that came from my, um, from that, that lesson came from my marriage, my previous marriage, which really woke me up to looking at all of my patterns and taking responsibility for all the relationships that I had, um, experienced and lived through. So can you just take us on like a little story of what happened and I don't know, maybe like a brief summary and then we can kind of like dive into any areas that we find interesting. Um, sure. 
So, and then another thing, I mean, not listening, you asked me what program that I really broke through and it was like listening to other people's opinions and voices outside of my own. And this was probably the biggest lesson that I um, came to know through the dissolving of my previous marriage. I was married for seven years and it was in alcohol. My my ex-husband, he's sober now. Um, but he was an alcoholic during the time that we dated and then through our whole marriage. So I was 28 years old and I already had a child and I had the programming of like, well, I'm 28 in the belief system. I'm going to get old. I'm already, I already have a child. Oh my gosh, I need to be married. I need to be married. And I mean, so it made this. Even though, like, on some level, it's, like, didn't feel right. But it was, like, here I have this guy who, in my mind, I'm seeing as, even though we fought and all the red flags were there that I was ignoring. What were some uh, of the red flags? I'm always, like, interested in, like, what people ignore. Like, that, right? Because it's, like, that inner voice that you're not listening to. You're talking about, like, you're only listening to other people's opinions. Like, what was it that, like, went off in your gut that you were, like, this isn't right? Um, Well, one of the things that really comes, like, the automatic memory that comes to mind is when I didn't arrive to his house on time to leave to go to the lake we were going to go celebrate his birthday weekend but I was like gathering things to celebrate him and it made me be late to his house and he I guess was receiving that as like you know people attach meaning to things that is not necessarily the truth so there was a lot of so he just like verbally just like beat me up and like shamed me and guilted me for being late to his house for the birthday weekend that I had planned for him And then, like, for the whole two-hour car ride, he just, like, kept digging into me about, like, how, like, it made, like, how wrong I was. And I just remember wanting to jump out of the car. It's escape. All of that, just like that, you couldn't stop. It's like, he always used the phrase because he was aware of this behavior. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. I kept beating. It's like already beating a dead horse. I'm like, yes. Apology was made. Everything was like, like, we got to move on from that. But he just kept verbally digging into me over that. And then that night, um, uh, he was, I woke up at like four in the morning. We had parties. We had gotten drunk. We had passed out. I woke up at four in the morning. He was just like, he needed, he wanted sex from me. And like that, I just remember like waking up and like, and doing that for him just so he would leave me alone to like get it over with like oh my god he needs this from me to feel secure because all of this in the moment I wasn't knowing this but he needed all of that because of all of his insecurities and all of his bullshit that was going on so that was um that's a major red flag that's a major red flag and that was also having to take responsibility on my end as I look back and reflect is I I was pleasing him and compromising myself do you feel like Um, that that pattern like showed up in other relationships in your life growing up it showed up everywhere in my whole entire life Mm. that's so hard that's such a big hard one to get rid of 
It is. And and I've been told you I've been doing a lot of like of my own delving in deeper because these are like what you do anywhere is what you do everywhere. How you do one thing is how you do everything. So even though like from the pain and the suffering that I um, went through at the awakening of all of this, when I finally just faced all the things that I was ignoring and suppressing for so long, um, I totally just lost my train of thought. So, um, so, so what were we saying? Get me back on track. You're talking about, I was taking from it, like when you start, this is what I, okay. I was thinking <laughs> you made me think of the way that we disassociate in difficult situations. It's like, mm-hmm. we're being told that things like the harder you work, the better push through pain. Um, oh yes, yeah. so I know where I was going. The um, programming of um, like the people pleasing and like the the co- and actually I, I learned terminology through um, my healing of this. I had to take a deep look at what was happening. I'm married an alcoholic, and in that kind of um, dynamic, everybody has roles that you just kind of end up like taking on falling into and taking on so um i was the codependent and he was the alcoholic so um in that relationship so codependency what does that mean it means you are getting your value and your worth outside of yourself and that's so disempowering because then you need somebody to act a certain way so that you can feel a certain way. And that's not healthy. So I had to take responsibility in, um, in my role in that. And so I went on this path of like, okay, self-love is what I need to get over that. Let me go all in. I'm going to learn to love myself. I don't like this. I don't ever want it to, I don't, want that to be attached to somebody else that does not feel good that has somebody else being in control over me which is what happened in the dynamics of that alcoholic and codependent relationship so then I wanted to rescue him save him and all of that so I told you earlier that I had been delving in even deeper because this stuff just goes like dimensional and layer deep in my side and so back to that phrase of how you do one thing is how you do everything so I've really been working with a coach and delving in deeper on like where, do, so I, I looked at how I do that in relationships. I've been hyper conscious of it. I had to learn boundaries. And when you first learn boundaries, I'm kind of like hardcore, like, nope. And, and there, that's, <laughs> I went from one extreme to the next, you know? So I'm, and, and the real healthy, um, the healthy part of that is that interdependence is like coming back into the middle. So I had to do some work recently with the coach. So, I, it shows up everywhere. So I look at it in my relationship. But however, all of that codependency stuff is still going on over here in my business. I had to look at and like detangle and detach from and clean up as well. Like with just like getting so, clients, like your worth is based on like how many or how few Well, like I was. I, I was not honoring what I, my true calling. I want to work with people on a deeper, more intimate level, but I felt all, ob- again, it's like you have to, you have to dig into like 
the you just have to dig in layers to see it, like the subconscious. I didn't see it, and I'm like, holy shit! When I'm working with my coach, because I'm like stuck in like teaching community classes, mm-hmm. which I love. I love, and I love the energy exchange. But I found myself like getting trapped into the expectation of how people expected me to show up. They expected a certain type of class. I had to be in that energy every single time. Or I felt that way. And then um, I'm teaching, um, I'm making a schedule. Not around like what worked for me and then like, which is the conscious way I want to live is like making myself the foundation and then let everything else fall into place. Because it's the people pleasing pattern, like, oh, what works for you and what works for you and what works for you. So it's like all of those behaviors like sneaking in as I was like, Showing up, and and this is like, um, I feel like a kind of a a gray, I mean, it's a fine line, I feel like, to be like in this um, path of self-love and service, being of service. Like, there's something you have to watch, because I fell like right back into like, Oh, so-and-so wants me to do this. Like, I'm doing all this stuff that wasn't really honoring my truth in service of everybody else once again. Does that make sense? Yes. People-pleasing is so hard to get over. It is. It is. It takes, like, that really... You have to go through uncomfortableness in speaking your truth, and you have to really trust. And, and it's really hard after, like, being, I don't know why I want to say what it's really hard after, but it's, like, I know I I love love. I want to be loved. I do. I love love. I want to be liked. I feel like it's everybody's, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. everybody, I mean, like, who does it, right? Mm-hmm. But then you have to, like, watch, like, what you do for it in exchange of it. Yeah, like, what's, is that that, really what's the expense of it? What's the extent of it? And it's so fucking liberating. Is it okay that I touch on here? Yes. Okay, because I love that word. Um, <laughs> it's so liberating and healing. It's so healing. When you go through that uncomfortableness of speaking your truth, but do it with kindness, which is kind of hard when you go from one extreme to the next, because I did that. I was like, oh, people, please. There. And then I'm like, I'm going to set up boundaries. That's not honoring me. And I'll be like, no hard energy but it's like that finding that balance of like because like I was associating that they wanted to like harm or betray me or do me wrong when I'm like reacting and responding with that boundary but I was I'm committed to that that like coming into living my truth and believing that that's the way and it's like it's so healing when you go through that uncomfortableness you're good and what all those stories are played in your mind um, about, like, speaking your truth to somebody. And then they'll like, oh, it's okay. Because you know what? They're not my abusive ex-husband. They're not going to react and respond that way when I speak my truth as the way it used to happen. So it's like getting past that conditioning that happened inside of the toxic relationship as well. Mm-hmm. And then there was conditioning that led me into the toxic relationship too it's funny because it's like it ends up being uncomfortable even staying in the people pleasing 
Like, you're, if you're going to be uncomfortable either way, you might as well just, like, liberate yourself and speak your truth. Exactly. And I'm finding it, it's like, it's so, um, it's just like everything else. What you practice strengthens. So it does get easier. It's like a muscle. Mm-hmm. So... Oh my God, there's so much we could go into. That's there's like so much to like unpack. I remember walking and I remember walking down the aisle with that feeling in the pit of my stomach that I ignored and suppressed because like I had doubt. Mm-hmm. And how did you like rationalize it? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this is normal. Everybody feels this way. Um, how did I, I remember, how did I rationalize it? Um, I was putting band-aids over, like, my truth, like, like, so a band-aid over, like, it, he loves me. What the, how did I rationalize it? I did mean, you realize I he was fear. an alcoholic then? You know, I grew up in alcoholism, and I, it was normal to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, I did this. Healing. I went to, um, he, when he, he's sober now because I spoke my truth because I came home one day and was like, this is as good as it gets. We don't fight. We are functioning. But the reason we don't fight is because I gave up and I silenced myself. And then I started like learning how to be my own best friend. I started crafting I started woodworking, repurposing pallets out in like our little garage. It turned into a workshop. And let me tell you, that's when truth started to download. I would just like be like sanding and I'd just like be so in the zone. out there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, girl, I got like, I had had saws that could cut through metal. This is very Jesus of you. (laughs) Very carpenter. I loved it though. It gave me an outlet, you yeah. know, from like all of like the diaper changing, baby food making, house cleaning. Well, I was a stay. I went. I turned stay at home mom for like six years, and um, and so that was like hyper people pleasing. I mean, not that. I mean, there's yeah. So I mean, taking care of everybody else, and there's the motherhood, the self sacrificing, which is another like the uh, I think another conditioned belief system I grew up with um, that you have to like to prove that you love people you have to sacrifice yourself mm-hmm. and that meant like that's what I grew up with that's what I saw that was my example and and um, and like I said I grew up in alcoholism so when I came home and told my husband this is as good as it gets and I and this is not good enough for me like we have a whole life ahead of us. And, like, I found myself when I was woodworking thinking thoughts, like, okay, it's okay. I can do this. I know how to be my own best friend. Um, I'm not going to do this to my children. I can do this till they're 18. My daughter is three at the time. So, at that time, I was telling myself 15 years. I could do this 15 years. And I'm like, holy fuck, 15 years. <laughs> That's <Ugh>. so long. <laughs> I mean, I was telling myself I could do it. And to circle back, like, uh, when I was 28 walking down the aisle, I was too scared to cancel the wedding because I was too far in. There was too many other people who had already 
RSVP already on their way. Too many other, I was affecting too many other people to call that, to cause that disruption. And then my ex-mother-in-law wanted to like turn it into a fancy wedding to invite like the doctors and all those people. And I was like, I just like simple. And I just got carried away and what everybody else wanted in my own damn wedding. Mm-hmm. And was like, and I'm not happy-go-lucky. I like to make other people happy. But mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, to what extent? So it's like nowadays I do it from a full place. Like I'm not feeling like I'm compromising. Or if I'm giving something up, I do it willingly instead of like programmingly. Yes. <laughs> um, or not because I have to. Like I definitely do it from an empowered decision rather than self-sacrificing and have to. So it's not that my behavior is like that much different, but I mean, I do pull the reins back here and there. I do set boundaries. I do honor myself now. But at that point in time, I was like, oh God, too many people. I can't cancel the wedding at this point. And like so much money has been spent. I can't do it. So I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, now I just circled us back and we had, we were moving forward with another thing. Um, about, um, so it was about what? (laughs) (laughs) We can move on to something else. We don't have to circle or we could circle around and around, baby. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. I'm so glad we can keep up. I love talking in circles. Me too. (laughs) And jumping from one thing to the next. Cause they, oh, I came home and I was like this woodworking back to woodworking, which, I got word to what was happening when I was doing all my woodworking. I got words for that when I did my yoga teacher training. So I meditate. I was, it was like a moving meditation. So my mind had a single point of focus and it was like, I was so soothed that I would be like sanding the wood. And it's like this circular saw and like the wood was going from raw to smooth. I'm telling you that woodworking, that transformation was like probably some of my most spiritual work. Um, I love that. It was. And then um, so these downloads would come. And I would get, like, just, like, downloads of truth. And I'd be like, fuck that shit. Oh, my God. I can't <laughs> ignore this. God dang it. I have to face this. There's no ignoring this. And the biggest truth I got was I am teaching my children how to survive in a toxic marriage. This is not happiness. And if I don't change this, they're going to do the same thing. I have to be the example of what happy and joy is so that they can have a life they deserve. And that was my download. I was like, fuck. That's huge. (laughs) Fuck. I have to step into the scary. God dang it. There's no, I mean, like now that's big love. I can't, I can't do that to my children. And I don't want to. So I had to, um, so I, I didn't, like, every time I got a download, I didn't just, like, go respond. I, I sat with it for a while and lived with it because I didn't, it was scary. I was, well, I was, I did I was, all I was, commi- all I was, all I was at that time was um, a homemaker. Not that that's, like, a little job because I never want to say that. That's a big fucking job. But, like, I had it invested in myself. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have any money coming in. He, he was the provider and he controlled all the money. And, um, 
my family lives 800 miles away. Oh, my lives God. 800 miles away. And it's like, um, and so, like, that was some big shit I had to face. To be like, I don't want this anymore. And then it's like, but once I like realized something, I'm in more suffering by staying in it. So, I mean, I went home for a visit and um, back to Memphis, Tennessee. And while I was there, I went to a concert with my friends and my sister. And at that concert, I'm in the beer line and this dude starts talking to me. And then like, and buys me a beer. It was the littlest amount of attention, but it made me feel awakened and alive again inside. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, I thought I was in love with that dude. (laughs) I was like, I'm ready to leave my husband and like marry you. And it was the contrast of like, I was getting attention. I I hadn't gotten attention. I hadn't gotten attention since I've been fucking married. It was like, I got married. It was like, okay, you're my... No more, no more investing in you. No more effort, no more energy. You're my bitch now. That's what it felt like after I got married. I moved up here, and it was like, okay, I'm going to work. And then, like, he never came home, and he drank. And I'm like, well, can I get invited to have some fun? Can we get a babysitter? Like, you don't even invite me to go have fun. God damn it, I'm just here taking care of all the shit. And um, so when I went to that concert, I got that little dose of attention. I was just like. I mean, just the reaction I had to that is like another story in itself. So after that, I was like, I cannot, like I had all those realizations and then that happened. And then I'm at my mom's house and I'm like, I have to go home and I don't want to go home. I hate my life. I'm so fucking depressed. Like I'd rather die than continue this life I've been living, mom. And she's like, but you have kids. I'm like, no fucking shit. She's like, you don't have a job. I'm like, I know. She's like, taking care of kids all by yourself is really hard. I'm like, I know. Mm. And I was like, but I just couldn't do it anymore. Like when I'm like, I'd rather die than go home. Like something's got to give. So I went home and I faced him. And I remember it was Halloween because I was like, I'm not going to tell. I'm just going to keep this kid. This is my kid's holiday. I can't <laughs> tell him. I'm going to wait till after Halloween, then I'm going to tell him, but I can't fake it. I cannot fake it anymore. Oh my God, that's and such I'm a like, Scorpio <laughs> conversation to like have on Halloween to like completely lift the veil and talk about all the shit that's been making you yeah, literally I want mean, to die. Like you don't even want to yeah. be on this like physical plane anymore. Like I can't. No, he would. I'm like, I'm like, I have all this like truth inside me, and I'm like, I gotta act like I like you. You want to have sex with me? I'm about to vomit. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. like, I had that's like, I, that's when I'm honoring my truth now. So I took him in the backyard, and I'm like, I can't take it. I'm like, this is as good as we get. And the only reason we don't fight anymore is because I've shut down and I've accepted all this. But if this is as good as it gets, I don't want it. Like, mm-hmm. I have to believe that there's better. I know there's better. And um, so we went for another fucking round of marriage counselors because it was like not being heard. And I agreed to it. We had been to so much marriage counseling. How did he respond to you saying that? Like, did he say anything or so did he try and like he said, let's go to counseling was his response. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was his 
always his response. Like, and then I would get even more triggered because the I felt, and this is my truth. I don't. I felt the reason he wanted to not break up was for the wrong reasons for me. It was all the superficial stuff. Again, people pleasing. He he didn't want. He worked on. He worked on Capitol Hill. And he was way more attached to his image and what other people thought than I ever have been, like on a whole nother level. And so for him to be like, I'm a divorcee, I have a broken marriage, that was like, that was what penetrated him. And then, um, and um, we went to counseling, but in counseling, that was the beginning of the end, I guess. So we went to counseling. Well, then what you're happened talking, because if you weren't well, even talking for that many years. Yeah, I mean, like that guy that I got attention from the concert, like I was texting him and I'd be like <laughs> texting him while I was sitting next to my ex-husband. So I'm like, you don't pay, you don't know, you pay any attention to me. I'm texting with another dude and you're so fucking unaware. Like, uh-huh. Um. That was the, so when I went home and I did that conversation, that was like the beginning of the end. And then his drinking increased. And I'm like, you're an alcoholic. I've been telling you you're an alcoholic for seven years. Because you tell me, I'm just going to have three drinks. I was like, either like have your three drinks or tell me you're going to Uber home. You're going to get drunk. Like, stop lying to yourself. Uh And over years of that resentment built. And then if I could go back in time and tell that version of myself anything it would be like your self-worth your self-value has nothing to do with his behavior and his drinking because at that time it did so every time he did that I was being I was like this happened in so many relationships and life in so many people is that we personalize other people's behavior. Yes. So the biggest, like, biggest practice is um, detaching other people's words, behaviors, and actions from your own worth and your own value. Like, that was all his shit. And I was taking it on and, like, making, like, him not coming home I was like making it made me feel like not lovable, not worthy. And it affected my self esteem. And I'm, I mean, yeah. What came so out? I, Did anything like interesting come out in that therapy? Um, I, I mean, what happened in that therapy was, well, it was like that happened over the course of our home marriage and then again at the end. Um, at the end. So it was both like um, you kind of like both knew it was kind of rocky from the beginning. Is that? Anna, let me tell you this. <laughs> yeah. What? So we got married in the church and they give you a test to take. You take a test because you're going to get a premarital counseling session before you do it. So you take a test on yourself and you answer all these questions. And then you take a test, the same test, and you answer it for your partner. And then they get these tests. So there's 
four tests. Each of you do it, one for yourself and one for the other person. And when they get these tests and they analyze it, it tells you what I, how I'm seeing my person and how they're seeing me and what he could tell it. And we didn't see, we, so, you know, like how we get with people and we try to change them and, or it happens a lot. <laughs> we try to make them our person. We wouldn't, we try to force them into things that they're not. I was not seeing him for who he was. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what that test revealed. And he wasn't seeing me for how it was. So our account, the, the, the preacher was like, you know what? I can't ever tell people not to get married. Cause oh I mean, God. at this point in stage. So basically, <laughs> He's like, they don't listen. He goes, so, um, so I'm going to just teach you guys how to fight. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and, he gave, and he gave him counsel. And he's like, look, if you want to have a happy marriage, and he told him, he's like, you're going to have to study her the same way you do your politicians and everything in the line of work you do. He didn't listen. Anyway, so. Um, <laughs> but, so and how then, did so he the, see you? And how did you see him? I saw him kinder than he was. I saw him more considerate than he was. I don't know how he saw me. I don't remember that test. I don't know. I have to, I have the test. I have to go look back and see how he saw me. But the test showed that (laughs) we were going to fight. And, um, yeah, I remember one of the questions being like, if he saw an, I saw him more like, I wanted to see him more like I was. If you saw an animal on the side of the road, would your partner pick it up and rescue it? I was like, yes. No, he would not. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) But I got this technique, and this is phenomenal technique. He goes, when you fight, before the other person is allowed to speak, because he knew we weren't hearing each other. He goes, you say... So what I hear you, what I'm hearing you say is blah, 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 blah. Then the other person gets to say yes or no. And then only at that point do you formulate your response. And that is a lot. That's that's a beautiful technique for communication in all human beings because so often we misconstrue what is being said. And then we have like all of the the stories playing in our subconscious mind and our belief system and that's where the practice of like mindfulness and watching your thoughts and like being the seer of observer comes into play is that true (laughs) so you say it back and then they get to then you actually get to be heard or not so like we would sometimes use that in our marriage sometimes not and like when it would get really bad in our fighting I would like dig deep and go, what I hear you say is this. And it'd be like, nope, that's not what I'm saying. What? That's what I'm responding to. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, who am I having this fight with? (laughs) (laughs) So what was it in the beginning that, like, how long did you guys date before you got engaged? Not long. Oh, it was was a quickie. Yeah, and this is an interesting story as to why we got married fast, which is, again, programming of belief systems that you are just like a servant to um, without even realizing it. And um, I'm from the South, so um, Southern, I was brought up Southern Baptist. 
Oh my god. Christian. So yeah. south. So southern, yeah. And like the church wouldn't marry my sister because she had a child before out of wedlock. And then like I mean, I remember I got saved. I've been saved like three I I was baptized three times. I was saved like five times. <laughs> I love that. Because I would, I would sit in the back pew, and then at the end, at the end of the church, they do a calling. Uh-huh. If you're feeling the need, if you feel like they actually, what they described was fear-based, relax, uh, re, uh, but now, like, they were describing my sweaty palms, my heart racing, because they just got done telling a story how this man did not um, adhere to the timing of Jesus knocking on your heart. He did not answer Jesus' calling, so he is forever locked in the burning hell and i'm like i mean if that doesn't make your palm sweat i don't know what i'm like yeah i mean like i was going across i was going to the little store my mom made me go to church i was going to the little store in in between like we'd go to sunday school and church and i'd be like stealing packs of gum (laughs) (laughs) and then when i was older and then when i was older then i was like I mean, I, I got into alcohol at an early age. I mean, and like, I'd like be drunk the night before and then be forced to go to church on Sunday morning. So like, I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm like a whore in church. <laughs> <laughs> They're like describing, like talking about all this behavior. I'm like, oh, I'm so terrible. I need to ask for forgiveness. And so it's fear, guilt, shame, and doubt. And, um, was, I'm not saying that every Southern Baptist church is bad. I'm talking about my personal experience and each person like leading the church. They're just another man. And I mean, and, and my child, in my memory, the story I heard at that point in time was this man, he told a story about this man who was in prison and he was going to hell forever because he did not answer at the time Jesus was knocking on his heart. And these are the words they use. And I'm like, an adult looking back I'm like how the hell do you know like how do you know like if this man has like a second chance or not if he's forever doomed to hell um so you know I would walk down the aisle a bunch of times so they'd be like if you feel in this and that's Jesus knocking at your heart and like my face would be flushed my heart would be beaten I'm like okay I'm walking down the aisle but I just want to make sure I don't burn in hell forever yeah. So will you pray with me? And I'd get down on my knees and I would pray, pray at the front of the church. And then I would get that reward of acceptance of like, you know, and that validation too. After doing it, she just accepted Jesus in her heart again. I got baptized three times. Just, I had to be sure. Oh my God. <laughs> that's so intense. And then, so, um, my ex-husband got, he was, we met in Memphis. Tennessee and I was like on the cusp of me I have um a 20 year old child and he's 20 and I had him when I was 20 I birthed him when he was when I was 20 so I had a child young that relationship did not pan out shockingly (laughs) I got forced to grow I was forced to mature and grow up and the father was not. He wasn't going through what I was going through. And that relationship dissolved. But then it was like, oh, I already have a kid. I want to work it out with him. So there was a lot of back and forth with him. One last go around when my son was six. That 
turned out very ugly. The ugly breakup that last go round. And then I met Ben, my ex-husband. So I was like on the cusp of that. I was supposed to be having a girl's night out. And then my girlfriend was like, I invited my friend Ben. And then we met. And that night, it was fun. He was in Memphis working for a baseball team. But he had been, he had lived up here in Maryland, gone to University of Maryland, worked on Capitol Hill, did all of this like political work. And then he's like, I'm going to take a hiatus and I'm going to explore something else. And his passion was sports and politics. Like, I didn't know about politics when I met him because he was in sports. And I was, anyway, so um, we um, met on his hiatus. And while we were dating, I was out to dinner with him and his family. And they started talking politics. Boring as fuck for me. So boring. (laughs) But not an area of interest for me. Not a conversation I can participate in. Which is the hard thing living in this D.C. area, yeah. especially with people working on Capitol Hill. I would go to sometimes his friend's house and be like, I can't talk to these people. But because um, <laughs> that's all they talked about. And I'm like, fuck, I guess I could have studied politics to carry conversation, but I didn't want to. <laughs> that's a so lot he just lit- to carry on that <laughs> facade. <laughs> I'm just going to go get a quick master's in poli sci. Let me go watch some YouTube videos so I can carry a conversation with you people because I'm bored as shit over here. uh, Can we bring Trevor Noah to the party? Just lighten it up. (laughs) I lived it for seven years, though. And, um. Oh, that's so hard. If you're not into it. So boring. Yeah. But here's how loving I am. He lit up with his parents. I'm like, wow. I didn't see that side of him because we shared a common interest. This was like music. We connected around the music. And that was our one thing in common. Because you, <laughs> cause you met, thing. like, there. where were you? You were at a club or you were dancing or at a concert? I was at the Memphis Italian Festival. Which is like it's live a, music, food, like lots I mean, of meatballs. Ever, um, lots of meatballs, <laughs> <laughs> lots of eating and drinking. That sounds fun. <laughs> and having a good time. Yeah. I was just um, thinking because we had St. Patrick's Day yesterday. I was like, we need like an Italian day where we just eat meatballs. Exactly. Well, there is Memphis Barbecue Festival, Memphis in May. It's like all about music and barbecue. And, yeah, um, I guess you're so in then, Nashville. Like music is the thing. I would think. Music, it's music and, music and food is the thing. Music girl. and food music and, and drinking. Food. Yes. And drinking. Yeah. Having a good time. Living life. Yeah. Um. Um. So we, yeah, that's how we met. And then, um. Shortly after that, he's like making $20,000 a year doing that. That was a dead impact. And then he got a call to come up to D.C. and work. And we're like, oh, Maddie in love. Seven months into our relationship. And, Feeling real um, good at the seven-month mark. Yeah. I mean, the passion was hot. Yeah. The sex was fantastic. Uh-huh. So when did that change? After marriage. Like just like right after 
That seems so weird, especially if you like. No, not right after. Yeah, probably, but it it was. It was right after I left my support system. I left my family. Now I'm up here. I'm needy. I need. I am definitely needy now. Uh huh. The whole dynamic. And that's okay. The whole dynamic. Yeah, I'm in a new area. Like I came from the south to the east coast. To DC. yeah, this is intense. I went grocery shopping and I was like, oh my God, like I don't even know where to put my basket. Oh my God, I feel like I'm moving through the airport security line here. I can't go fast enough. I'm freaked out. And then there was like, um, like how, there's an upstairs to this grocery store. How does my basket get up there? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> it was, and then I, when I go home, People were like, what do you make it for dinner? I made this for my family last night. Oh, girl, you forgot something. Hold on. I'm going to call somebody up here and make everybody in line wait. And I'm going to get somebody else to go get that one item you forgot. It's a complete dynamic change. Complete energetic shift. So did you guys get married before you came up here? Or you got married like right after... Seven months in, he got a call to come work up in D.C. Okay. And mm-hmm. he came to me because, like, I have a kid where, like, so that was nice and respectful. He couldn't just, kudos to you now. I'm telling the story. You did consider my feelings at one point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had a conversation about this opportunity. And it felt like a crossroads in our relationship. And I'm like, you, I'm like, oh, my God. It's like, go. I'm like, I'm like, you have to go. Like, you are thought you don't like your job here and you're and you love the politics like I saw it in you like you have to go and like we'll figure it out like follow your dream was the support that I gave and then we're long distance and this is like he moved up here and I'm telling you that ego inflated like no like I had never seen before I didn't know this person anymore but I was still attached to him and even like my wedding photographer, he's like, yeah, people up there in D.C., they get that Potomac fever. And he described like the <laughs> ego inflation that my husband was embodying at the time. And I'm like, so true. And um, how long did you guys so, do long distance? Not long enough. And <laughs> <laughs> like just short enough where you got through it. OK, so like we met in June. Uh-huh. At the Italian festival, and we were married by the next August. Wow, this happened a so, year okay. and a few months. Yeah, so it so was the, like seven months. Move. He moved. Yeah, and then it was like we couldn't see him being apart, right. and um, so it was like maybe like a month or two. Yeah, so we talked about. So then we got serious about our commitment with each other and, and talked about like, I had a kid. So it's like, well, we can't, our belief system at the time, I am a rebel. I break belief systems. And I think I, I, it was where his belief system was working in my favor at that point in time. He was like, well, I mean, like we can't live together without marriage. You have a kid. That's a bad example for your kid. And I'm like, Okay. All right. Let's talk marriage. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wasn't going there, but you brought it up. 
okay. And it was like, so the me already having a child, like, so me not being certain and just riding the waves, going with it all. Like I did have a child. I mean, it was a little bit of a belief system there for me, but probably not so much to the point I would have adhered to it. But, um, he, uh, you loved him important. at that point. He, he, no, he was, he's, he's a wire. This is what drove me crazy about him. That he's so wired to like, wired to be a good guy. Like with that, like, I mean, like a martyr. Does that make sense? I mean, like, like without thinking for yourself, like you have to think for yourself. Like you can't just like wallow. I guess I criticized him for things that I did do and I wasn't clear on myself doing, um, which was like always playing by the rules. Like there's rules to everything. Mm-hmm. And I don't live that way. Um, and so, and the rule he was playing by then was like, you don't live together before, you don't live together before marriage. That was a teaching in church. I don't know if the Bible says that or not, but the church said the Bible said that. <laughs> so specific. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, we, we just, we planned a wedding in like three or four months and we got married in August because we had to get it. Oh, we were getting it done before the school year started so that when we moved up here, my son could go start the school year at the beginning of the school year. Wow. Again. Yeah. So I got married and then the next day I went and stayed at my friend's lake house so that we had like a night together and then we went and packed up the U-Haul. And drove to DC. Wow. And then it was downhill for it. It was like, I'm not kidding, downhill from there. And that's because now that I'm telling the story of all the pressure that he was feeling inside himself. What kind of pressure? To be a provider, a caretaker, provide the perfect life. Um, taking on a woman and a child. Yeah, that's a lot. It is a lot. Hmm. So. Hmm. I'm th- I'm like processing. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. I know. It's like, how do I tell my story? Like, I mean, there's so many lessons from it. Yeah. <laughs> so what was it like getting into that? Did he... I assume that those were really long hours that he was working. Mm-hmm. What was it like trying to like come together as a family, like with a kid already? Also, kind of like if he wasn't even, well, yeah. he would try to force like if, to have connection with. Um, he didn't understand like parenting um yeah because it's not even like you're just getting married now he's like also a parent yeah or a step parent so yeah um yeah so that was and that was another dynamic to throw on there how did that Um, like impact your relationship do you think negatively 
because he wouldn't hear me. I'm like, you have to meet this. If you want to have a relationship, you can't force the child to do what you want when you're all of a sudden new into, like, you just stole their mama. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, he's had me all to himself. And here you are. And now you're coming up all in here, like, you're going to watch a baseball game. He's like, I don't want to watch a baseball game. I'm going to play a video games. Well, you're going to do what I do so we can form a bond. And he gets like, and my son is like so turned off like by it. I'm like, you're not doing it right. And um, then like the, and then my, so your child is going to be clingier. And you're going to need more validation, more certainty. I mean, you know, that's a big change for them. Oh my God! Their and whole life so Jacob, changed. yeah. So and so in 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 my son's neediness, I have this outside voice going. You're being manipulated. He just wants this and this and this. Like now, this, but so then I'm being torn. Like then then self doubt. I mean, nothing made Who's me more self doubt. Who was manipulated? The step parent is looking outside at the behavior between mother and child oh he's saying like oh your son is manipulating you like you need to be more like dominant mm -hmm. i mean because it would be like oh i hurt my knee it's a little twinge in the knee it's like not that bad but can you please carry me you gotta look the child is just finding a way to to get their needs met and his need was more like connection and love and reassurance and how did that show up in an exaggerated pain in my knee from, or like a thump <laughs> in the toe. I mean, you know, and it's like, it's really not that bad, but it would be like, we're all three. It's competition for attention. Right. Yeah. Like, give me reassurance that you still love me. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to be able to re, I mean, as a parent, you have to, you need to be able to see that, see past the surface. So how are you dealing with, like, juggling all of these roles? Like, being a mom and feeling, I don't know if you're feeling like this, but, like, seems like mediating the two of them. And then also your relationship. Um, I, well, <laughs> I was, I'm not saying that I was, like, handling it the best, that I just kept on, like, doing more doing more doing more trying to reach that perfection state trying to continue to do all the day what's going to pacify him what's going to make him not be upset so i just continually to mold and do all the things i needed to do to pacify everybody and and i lost myself in that and i lost myself to the point where i mean like i was going to um, I'm going to say maybe that's when I started to find myself. I, um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I was going to therapy and I was on antidepressants and then I got on Adderall and I used Adderall to overfunction. Mm-hmm. It gives you that like perfectionist feeling. It gave me the energy to do to focus and uh, get everything done. Mm-hmm. I mean, because like on a day's work, if you're home with the kids, I mean, like you, 
think that you're going to get so much done, but you don't. Kids are needy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why nobody has a clean house. Yeah, I did. You did? <laughs> yeah, that Adderall. That Adderall. <laughs> I was like the Adderall queen. I was like, oh, I'm going to get this. Like, I would go and be like, I can't. Like, I'm so overwhelmed. I mean, I read online. Um, I, I mean, I probably am somewhat ADD. I mean, but I definitely read um, the exact things that I could say to get what I wanted. I knew what to say in the doctor's office to get my prescription. I was like, I'm going to get the Adderall. I'm going to get my house clean. I'm get everything organized. I was trying to control so many, that was what I could control because so much else was out of control. Mm, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. So how did you decide to have another kid? Was how long how far into the relationship <laughs> did you did you have? Do you have a boy or a girl? Um, well, I had two more kids. I had kids with him and I stayed in my marriage. I, when I, not, I was Googling divorce, like within <laughs> yeah, the first like, this, month. Where did I was Googling divorce. I was Googling divorce at the beginning of my marriage. And I mean, I have to say before we continue, um, like, I'm grateful. I, I mean, like, I can't say I shouldn't have. A lot of times when I reflect back to the story and I have, like, my lessons and my red flags, um, I could also, like, fall into that story of I shouldn't have done that and criticizing myself. But that's not the truth. I was, I, I've walked this path to have my wisdom and my lessons, I feel like, to, to pass on. Sure. But I mean, because I can't not be grateful for the, the my children. Yeah, but, and I hope uh, I didn't come across like, hey. No, I just like to qualify yeah. that for my own self as I go into like sharing. Um, because I mean, don't, I'd have to like manage my inner critic. Totally. <laughs> yes. And um, so I would. I would have sex a lot out of like obligation because I was feeling my roles and duties as a wife. This is that programming stuff. I didn't get divorced because I was too scared. And like, this is like realizations that like, I had to unpack was like why I was like doing these things. And it was beliefs. I was deep rooted belief systems because like I had, I mean, I because I wasn't going to be a God doesn't like divorce. I was going to, I had to unpack this. I was I was gonna go to hell if I got divorced and like when I could see those belief systems I was like oh well fuck that God that's not my God my God is of love not of fear and um and I got to clean that for myself but I mean I was living within the programming um I yeah I, I could have been on birth control I wasn't and I was actually um on my way to the doctor to because I was like I'm depressed I have to I would call my sister at home and I would like always be upset and she's like go to the doctor like just go get on some medicine you've got to get yourself stabilized so that we can work through this and she's like just use the medicine just it's there for a reason you don't have to be on it forever so I was like okay fine 
I made an appointment with the doctor and I'm going to the doctor because I'm feeling depressed. And on the way to the doctor, I'm like, I'm fucking pregnant. What's the worst thing that could happen to me right now? And it was like, be pregnant with a man's baby I can't stand. And I was like, it was insane. So I go to the doctor's office and I'm like, as I'm telling him what I'm going through, I'm like, and I could be pregnant. And he goes, well, I think I support it. We're going to find out if you're pregnant before I give you any meds. I left the doctor's appointment and um, went and bought a pregnancy test. And I went to the Smoothie King and I took that test. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, he's sending me to a lab. He's sending me to a lab. I was like, you're telling me it's going to be days for me to find out. I'm going to Walgreens. And I'm going to stop at the first bathroom I see. Like, when that realization hit, I was like, motherfucker, I'm pregnant. Okay. Definitely not getting divorced now because at that point in time, it wasn't an option to me. And not that I'm favoring one way or the other and there's no judgment around it, but I think it's important that you all know that you always have a choice. So I used to live a very disempowered life. And that was a life where I didn't have choice and um, an abortion was not an option because I was brought up that I wouldn't even share this, but I'm sharing with you right now with my family because there's so much judgment around it. But at that point in time, I didn't believe in abortion or like it was because I was taught otherwise. Like that's how like some of my family uh, make their choices on their political vote. Are they supporting abortion or not? Like that's some deep rooted South shit. Mm-hmm. And um and so there I was, okay, I'm having another baby. Here we go. Wow. So what was and, that pregnancy and, like? It was insane. It was insane. I would be driving in the car and I would never share these thoughts, but I would be like, I don't know how I'm gonna love this child. I uh, had those doubts. Oh, in me. that breaks my little heart for both I of you. I know. Oh my gosh. I know. Um. Well, I I did love that child. I do love that child, and after I've resented my pregnancy all the way up until the end. Um. That's so much like so many heavy. emotions. I mean, I'm sure it's just yeah. so conflicting because. It's like it having was. all those emotions of like regret or shame, and then also maybe trapped like sh- and stuck. Yeah, and yeah, but also like um, love and you know caring and yeah. devotion. It's like how do you how do you how did you grapple with like all of it at once? That just seems huge. I mean. um, I remember a point of liberation. I was working then um, and being like talking to this lady in the bank and she shared with me about her pregnancy. And it was the first time she was like, I remember she's like, no other moms. Like I didn't like a lot of moms would judge this. She's like, but I remember like wondering if I was going to love my baby. And it was just like, I didn't share with her what was going on with me at that time, but it was just like a very like, reassuring that like nothing was wrong with me and that it was normal to have those doubts and have those kind of thoughts and to just just to know I mean hope and believe that I would love this baby because the baby isn't him 
And also, like, not, like, that idea of becoming the observer and not, like, attaching too much to a thought. Yeah, well, I didn't have that lingo then. (laughs) Right, (laughs) but, like, I guess looking back. Yeah, 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 we have all kinds of thoughts. We have, and they're all okay, I mean. Totally. Yeah. And to not, we don't have to judge ourselves over the thoughts. Right. I mean, was there self-judgment? There was something there. Because I was like, oh, what kind of mother? Yeah, there was self-judgment. What kind of mother has those kind of thoughts? You know? like. But I would cry. I cried a lot. Like, I don't know if I'm going to love this baby. But I ended up having a water birth with him, and I did attachment parenting with him. And Whoa, um, what was a water like, birth yeah. like? <laughs> um, Are you a Pisces? Well, are you a Pisces I'm moon? A, I am a Pisces moon. Me too. <laughs> um, you have so I, much I have Pisces like, in your story. Yeah, yeah. A lot. I'm a feeler. Lots of emotion. Lots of yeah. Um. So in the latter part of my story, there's a lot of fire and air. <laughs> um. But I have to go in a minute because I have a call at three thirty. Okay, um, that's totally so, fine. Um, um, well, let's I was like, going to tell a water uh, baby. Uh, I read a book, and it was like the birthing experience from the child's perspective, and I never thought about that. And um, when I read that, I was like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "I was far." I was like twenty-eight weeks pregnant. I was like, "Oh my god!" I have to find a birthing center. Oh my gosh, I can't do it the hospital way. I can't do it that way. Oh, that's a terrible traumatic experience for my child. So I found a birthing center and went to like some home, uh, some uh, midwife center, like 28 weeks pregnant. And then the water birth, phenomenal. It alleviates a lot of the pain. I did a natural birth too. Wow. Two children. Um. So um, it's so it just it's shooting, it's shooting. So I feel like you have to come on again, and we have to do a part yeah, two okay. because okay. this was just so good, and I feel like okay. there's just so much to get into, and I feel like we did so much about like really like in depth in the in the muck of the mud and I kind of want to like go through like what's going on now with you and how you're just like lotusing up and blooming. Oh, I would love to. And thank you for, um, for this opportunity to delve be in and share my story. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for coming on and being so open and honest and, vulnerable it's just beautiful can you tell everyone where they can find you if they want to connect with you or do coaching with you yes i would love to share that it is um you can find me on facebook if you are there b-e-c-k-i becky holt h-o-l-t and portis P-O-R-T-I-S. I'm on Instagram, Becky underscore Holt underscore Portis. I have a website in the making. It's not representative of where I'm at now, but I am going to get it there very soon. It will have my contact information there. And that's Believe, B-E-L-I-V-E, 
yoga dot love. I love that. Oh my God. Thank you again. Thank you. We will talk soon. Okay. Bye, Becky. Bye. Thanks. My grandma's smiling down on me like, what the boy got bars? Okay, okay. Yes, I do. I said amen and hallelujah. Let me testify to another morning. A morning on that self get in my way. I got my breath. I got my faith. And I remember what I came. Glorious, glorious. Got a chance to start again. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, we'll have Becky back on our next episode and we can continue to talk about how she transformed through this relationship, um, leaving this relationship and really finding her inner power. Um, So stay tuned. So definitely... Follow her and connect with her, believeyoga.love and Becky underscore Holt underscore Portis on Instagram. And thank you guys so much for listening. I love you all. Big smooches. And of course, shout out to Macklemore for our music today. Now-